0: Welcome to Danny's Chop Shop, here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. I am your host, Danny Kugler, and I have with me the host of the Stick the Wrestling Podcast, a 605 Podcast, rec- regular, I can't even say regular today, John McAdam.
1: <laughs> Danny, how are you, man?
0: This is the second time we're doing this, as I had you on my Meet the Press Lamp show. I should link that show in our description, because... Because we're going to be continuing our conversation from that show. And it's going to be interest. It's just an inter- interesting time in wrestling, honestly.
1: Um, I think so. I mean, for the first time since 2001, WWE is, is finally going to have some competition Uh with a guy Tony Khan that I used to trade tapes with um we were pals back in the AOL days and we would talk wrestling and college football but anyway um and I say that you know I never saw TNA as any kind of a threat or even a minor competition to what the WWE was doing and you know that's not me knocking them it was just that you know even though they were on national cable their what they had was so weak I mean, it just never got off the ground. And it was more of
0: a niche than anything else.
1: Yeah, I mean, if that. Wow, you know, it just dawned on me that in a few months, it's going to be 10 years since they tried switching to Monday Night and creating the new Monday Night Wars. And that Oh, was my a,
0: God.
1: <laughs> that was a major bomb.
0: That was a major bomb. I I remember it like it was yesterday because – This is when I started becoming a super fan, honestly, around 2010 and 2011, where I started to I discovered the internet, yeah, (laughs) not the not the actual internet, but the internet wrestling community and torrenting. Unfortunately, Um, but we won't tell anybody about that. (laughs) Um, And I started going to independent wrestling shows, and I started realizing there was other wrestling besides WWE, and you want to know what the catalyst of that was?
1: What was that?
0: Unfortunate. It was an unfortunate event. Um, it wasn't the Misawa death, honestly. Like, people were talking about Misawa as the greatest wrestler of all time at the time he was passed, and, and I have this distinct memory of searching Misawa on YouTube and watching a Misawa Kobashi match.
1: And okay. being blown away. If he's, I, I wouldn't say he's number one, but he's definitely... I think number one's Ric Flair and everyone else is number two, but he's, he's in the conversation, certainly for a top-ten spot.
0: Yeah, and I recently did a project, The Greatest Wrestler Ever, over at Pro Wrestling Only, and it was interesting. I think Flair finished one or two, but it was interesting to see what wrestlers ranked highly. You know? And yeah. I felt like some of my favorites didn't get that much credit, you know? Like like a Shawn Michaels or stuff like that. Even though they finished highly, I thought they were greater. Also because I haven't watched that much wrestling yet in my fandom. Yeah. Uh-huh. Too so it, it's interesting to see where people are in their fandoms. And, and that's I, why I like doing projects like that.
1: I mean, I don't know where I'd rank him, but Shawn Michaels, you know, like him or not, was an elite in-ring performer. Um e- you know, even after he retired and came back, he was elite. So, you know, I'm not sure where I'd rank him, you know, 10, 15, 20, whatever, but I mean, he was great.
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's just interesting to see, like, some wrestlers you were, liked when you were younger, um, who, who dawned on you that they totally sucked, or they weren't as good as you thought they were.
1: Oh, that's happened to me countless times.
0: Well, like it happened with you, because I used to love um, Finley. Even though Finley's great, he's not, like, one of the all-time greats. I used to love Finley because he was Irish. Okay. And I'm half Irish, so I just gravitated to Finley for whatever reason, even though he was a heel and I was a babyface loving kid at the time. Um, so what are, what are some wrestlers that, that um, y- you liked when you were younger and, the, and you look back now and you're like, boy, I liked him?
1: Oh, I mean, anyone who has ever heard me on a podcast, I think already knows the answer to this one. But I don't think I'd be a wrestling fan if it were not for Chief J Strongbow. Because when he returned to the WWF spring of 1976, I went from, you know, casual fan. If I was channel surfing and wrestling was on, I would watch it to uh, wrestling being... Uh, appointment TV, and it was Appointment TV for it about the next 15 years. So, and then I, you know, that didn't last long. Uh, maybe a year later, I was more of a heel fan, even though I was like only 11 years old. But that's okay. Um, but yeah, Strongbow was terrible. His matches were terrible. His interviews were worse. He, you know, was old and. You know, putting on pounds by the time I saw him for the first time, let alone when he came back. Um, but yeah, Strongbow was terrible. But you know what? He had charisma, and that's what counted. He yeah. got me to watch, and that's what counted. Other side of the coin, until I started getting the uh, the Observer in late 1986, I thought Mr. Saito sucked. Because really? he, was, he was the, um, you know, clearly the number two guy in the Fuji and Saito tag team, and I just didn't see him as a star, and now when I watch his, you know, even his WWF matches, which were like 50% of the speed of his New Japan matches, you know, that guy was great.
0: Yeah, he was. Even in his New Japan, I haven't watched a lot of classic wrestling, and because there's so much to keep up with today that I feel like... Oh, I have to keep up with today's wrestling. And but Saito was, I like <laughs> learning the history of the business. So Saito was one of those guys where you're like, he's the second guy of the tag team, you know, and then you watch him work and you had some pep in the step.
1: To say the least, and the guy had a legit, you know, uh, amateur background. He was a judo medalist, you know, great athlete. And I just, here's the thing, and I kind of miss this, okay? I used to determine whether or not a wrestler was good or not good by how many matches he won. You oh, uh, know, this guy beat this guy. Well, clearly the first guy's better. And I think when I started getting the observer, After 10 years of looking at wrestling through that spectrum, it was time for a change. And I think if The Observer hadn't shown up soon, I think I would quickly become an ex-wrestling fan. But here I am, 40, what, 44 years later, 43 years later, still a fan. I still enjoy the current product.
0: Um, One of the things that The Observer opened my eyes to was there's more to this than just the good and the evil. It's a performance aspect as well, and I know some people don't like the fact that people rate it as a performance, but that's something I gravitated towards.
1: Um, y- yeah, I definitely see that. I mean, you know, I, I said earlier, I-, I miss looking through wrestling through that spectrum, but at the same time, now, I appreciate it more for what it is. I appreciate what the guys have to go through to get where they- where they are, and... I mean, you know, I was really happy one day, I think it was in 97 or 98, when The Rock was on Howard Stern's show, and Howard Stern asked him, you know, is is wrestling real? And finally, someone just said, he didn't say, no, it's fake, but he said, you know, yeah, the, the finishes are predetermined, you know, we're out there to entertain people, and I was so Relieved to finally just have that out there instead of someone saying, well, "Why don't you get in the ring and I'll show you how fake how fake it is?" Because well, just right. because you can beat up Howard Stern it doesn't mean anything,
0: right? Because I recently talked to Bo James and he's like, and he's one of those people, those traditional pro wrestling fans and and part persons part of the business that say, "Oh, I hate being out, so out in the open about it," but but it's like. And it's not his fault, but it's like, I grew up differently. So, it's a different product. It's changed. Mm -hmm. Some people say wrestling's evolved. It's changed.
1: It's I mean, and it's changed dramatically more than once since I became a fan. I mean, Vince McMahon put a wrecking ball through the wrestling business in 1984 and what you saw in 84 85 86 did not resemble the wrestling i grew up on and he gradually got sillier and sillier until well 91 they did some more hardcore stuff but i mean i just got done watching some of the, the stuff they were doing with the undertaker in 1994 <clears throat> Where they put him in the casket, and like uh, this green fog started started coming out of the casket, and he gets raised to the heavens and all that crap. I mean, come on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's weird.
1: I'm one of those people that, you know, I liked wrestling better a lot better in, like, 97, 98, 99, the Attitude Era, than I did the mid-90s. The mid-90s were terrible.
0: Yeah, the men 90- even though the work rate, I look back on some of those nineties shows, I will watch like a Survivor Series ninety five and the work rate's pretty good, but it's so cartoony that it's like like yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean Shawn Michaels was really good. Brett was obviously really good. Owen was fantastic. Um, but they I mean the the I was Obviously, I'm prepping for something, but the the match between the two Undertakers, my God, at SummerSlam '94 was beyond terrible. The crowd was just dead, and
0: I, I thought recently watched that for his Boys of Summer series on the Voice of Wrestling Patreon, and he's like, I thought at the time this was horrible, and now I thought it's even worse.
1: Oh, it was! It was! I couldn't believe what I was seeing, even by WWF standards at that time that match was terrible but yeah i i like i said just you know i thought that was an absolute low point in wwf and i'm glad that they starting around fall 96 they they changed they flipped the script a little bit and the reason i'm talking about this once people got on the internet once that became a common thing and you had people like myself, uh, you know, and other people who read the newsletters. Once you had a, a, a space to hear what we had to say or read what we had to say, you know, the, the secrets were out. I mean, there was just no way you could wrestling was, you know, kayfabe was dead in a way.
0: Yeah, but some in some forms, Fabe is still alive because. You I think like leaning into injuries, can be a form of k like leaning into like Oh, I'll give you a perfect example, like in G1 Will Osprey took a night off because he had a stinger in his neck and he was facing Kota Ibushi the next night. And people were so concerned about Will Ospreay crippling himself because he had a stinger and exaggerated which is still a Semi bad injury, but he was okay to fight Kodobuchi and made each spot on the head drop. Not you know he didn't get dropped on intentionally, but he, Kodobuchi worked on the neck and stuff like that. It made each spot more impactful.
1: Um, yeah, I mean that's that's a different method of storytelling, and I'm glad the word you use. We've evolved, um, you know. But yeah, like like I was saying, I mean, and now it's a different kayfabe in that. If I bump into wrestler X someplace, like he's going to be very careful about what he says in front of me or anyone else, because, you know, I used to talk to wrestlers all the time and they never had to worry about, okay, we're going to see parts of this conversation on the internet when I get home. So now, you know, the guys are a lot more closed up than they were 20 or 30 years ago.
0: Right. Right. And in some ways, that's good because. Because it's sort of like this amalgamation of maybe it's coming back into the tube, but it's not really, because everyone's so concerned about the internet.
1: Oh, and and absolutely, as well they absolutely should be. I mean, you know... I what was it like ten years ago? I heard probably more like fifteen. I hear the story about Triple H um, going to his car and he wouldn't sign autographs and he's polite. Just you know, please get out of the way. I got to go. And I'm reading this in- about this in- incident. Excuse me on the internet, and I'm like, you know, this wouldn't have happened fifteen years ago. But now, you know, he he doesn't want to give you. That's if that's the only story he's going to give you, then that's fine. He, he's not going to have a. You're, put out a crazy story about, you know, you saw Triple H at a bar and this happened and that happened, which I have stories like that from the eighties, but you know, now everything, you know, you have to be careful out there.
0: Right. And like the eighties, it was a different, it was a different time. And, and we also feel like it's a different animal I think entertainment has evolved. I think the way we consume things has evolved because now I can watch a match from Japan instantly. Mm -hmm. As before, people would look at your tape and say, what can I afford? What, (laughs) What do I want? Cut it and then order it.
1: Yeah. The cost of media is a fraction today of what it used to be. I mean, I remember when I first started doing uh, videotapes in like 85. And at the time, I was just making them for myself. Um, It just dawned on me one day on TBS on the Sunday show, while WWF still had it, they were showing uh, old matches from like 79 and 82, and I loved it. And I said to myself, wow, in five years, I'm going to like I'm going to want to see this stuff from 1985 again so I just you know recorded main events and stuff and now and the cost of the tapes was six dollars per of 1986 money which has got to be around twenty dollars per of of money now so you know of course I recorded on six hour speed and the whole nine yards but yeah you can now you can pretty much see anything you want maybe not literally anything but there's there's going to be something out there that you'd be entertained by and i mean we're all going to pass without seeing everything that we have avail- have available but we just don't have the time to see it all
0: right and and you have to be okay with that sometimes because it's like i i struggle with i'm not going to see every wrestling match ever and and that makes tape and i have to be okay with that and it doesn't mean I love the business any less.
1: No, I mean, I, I would like to, to if the me from 80, let's say 1982, I could bring that person into my living room right now and I could show them this thing that I have that is roughly the size, I don't even know what to compare it to, it's, it's about the size of half a hockey puck and it's connected to my TV and has every episode of world, and On it, I can watch every episode of World Class Championship Wrestling from, like, 1982 through, I want to say, 1988, and I'm not going to watch it because I just don't have all that much time, and I have so many other viewing options.
0: Right. What have you been watching recently,
1: I recently have been watching uh, a little bit of 80s AWA, um, 80s Portland. I just got some Southwest Championship Wrestling in that I'm, I'm going to be viewing in the near future.
0: I watched some Houston recently. I watched the – let me look it up because I can't think of the match that I wa- watched from Houston a while back or, because I'm doing a series – on my Get in the rank show, where uh, people compiled, like, the 100th greatest match ever. And that's, that's a subjective list and all, but, but people voted on it. People had 491 different nominations. They nominated matches, and they went and voted, and each had a top 100. Um, and it's a lot of work, but... Oh, here's what I watched. Where is it? Where is it? I know I watched something from Houston.
1: I watched Lutas
0: vs. Rangania from Chicago.
1: Okay, I've seen that. I saw that about a year ago for the first time.
0: I saw the uh, Jerry Lawler build on the... I've been watching varied stuff. Yeah. Terry Von I... Harley Race. What's that? Terry Von Harley Race from 77.
1: Okay. Uh, and that was the match where Andre got slammed? Yes. Okay. I, I remember seeing photos of that and just being amazed that Harley Race, I mean, let's face it, he didn't have the world's greatest physique, could pick Andre up and slam him. So what did you vote I mean, the number one match?
0: From Houston, 7-1-1977.
1: Okay. Now, what did you vote as the number one match, or did you vote? I didn't, and what I would
0: consider one of the greatest matches of all time was the Misawa Kobashi match I first laid eyes on
1: when Misawa died. I have not seen that. I am, I am not from up 2019- on my Japan.
0: Um. It was from 1997, it was from January. Okay. January 20th, 1997. It... it A lot of people consider the uh, 6-3 Masawa-Kawada match the greatest match ever.
1: I think Um, that that match, I don't want to say it's overrated, but it gets... It's not overrated. It gets extra credit for the finish, where Masawa unmasks. Which is a good thing.
0: Right. Right. Um, There's also... No, not, not the Masao Saruta from 90. It was from later, 94.
1: Okay. I um, haven't seen that match in like 15 years, but I remember loving it.
0: Yeah, I remember. And it's hard for me. I don't know if it's hard for you because you grew up in the 80s and in the 70s. But it's harder for me to look at a match from modern eyes and look back on it with subjective eyes from 1977 or 19. 19- 1986, like, like I watched the Sangre Chicana Perro Aguirre match from UWA, Hair versus Hair.
1: Okay, yeah, and anytime you have a, a really good storyline going into that match so that it's a, you know, that you re- so you really care about the result, not only you'll have a title in there and you'll have like a feud backing it up, it makes the match mean a lot more. So obviously it's going to be, better thought of right
0: right and I appreciated it but I don't think I gave it all the credit it's due and this is like it was the same thing with the loser leaves town match I still thought it was excellent but I don't know how good it really could have been because I wasn't living in Memphis in 83
1: right (laughs) I'll tell you this, I was watching some old mid-Atlantic footage, the stuff that uh, Jim Cornette saved from the janitor uh, in Atlanta, and they had a match, it was, it was Blackjack Mulligan against Baron Von Raschke, and the two of them were doing nothing. They were you know, trying, each trying to apply the claw on the other one, and there was very little action, yet the place was going crazy. And right, right. I miss those days. Right.
0: And one of the greatest matches I've ever seen was like a red hot crowd. I saw the Furnace, Furnace, um, Dan Crawford versus Kobashi and Kikuchi match. And I still think that's one of the greatest matches ever because the crowd was so hot. That was the match where Kikuchi was in his hometown and was selling like crazy.
1: Yeah, one of the one of my favorite matches was the ten man tag from Calgary that in your house they had in early nineteen ninety seven, and Love it was that. all the crowd. Yeah, it was all
0: crowd. Uh, most most of the crowd because a lot of the guys are good workers, but they didn't have to do much.
1: No. No, the, the fans were there to cheer their their underdog heroes from Calgary, the guys who, you know, just weren't appreciated in America, and it, it was just an awesome atmosphere. It was like a college football game.
0: Um, and it, and it also changes when you've been to a match live too. So it's like, so it's like, I was at the Gargano Almas match last year at NXT, and. It- and, like, I was there, and the atmosphere was great. People wanted Johnny Gargano to win, even though he didn't win. And it was such a great atmosphere, and I still have great memories of the match. And the match was great, but it was, like, it, it didn't have the same impact when you watch it live in the arena compared to on
1: tape. Oh, totally! Uh, wow, we're going back a ways, but I went to Knoxville to see the Shawn Michaels versus Buddy Landell match for the Intercontinental Title when Smokey had their working relationship with WWF, and I came back saying, "Wow, you know, this is no questions asked match of the year. It was a five star match," and I. Watched it on tape, you know, uh, when the commercial tape came out a couple of months ago, and it just made all the difference in the world. Yeah, it was an excellent match on tape, but it was not the same as seeing it live.
0: Yeah, it, it's still an excellent match, but it's like, yes. yeah. Like, the, something was taken away that um, that was... There with you when you saw it for the first time in front of your eyes.
1: Absolutely. And one of the great things, we're back to to talking about crowds. Half the crowd was cheering for Buddy Landell, the local guy, who was in the middle of a turn. And half of them were cheering for Shawn Michaels because Buddy was still technically a bad guy and Shawn was the national superstar. He was the baby face in the match. But it was was split almost 50-50. It was like watching a boxing match where, you know, everyone just picked their favorite and cheered for him.
0: Right, right, and it's just exhilarating to see like how wrestling, like, impacts different people through different, different means, you know.
1: Oh, totally, and you know, obviously, I grew up in the around the Boston area, and it was really cool going to a place like Knoxville, going to a place like Louisville, and seeing how the crowds were different there.
0: Right, and, and it's, like weird. it's weird for me because I don't go to as many wrestling matches because I don't have the funds and everything like that, but it's weird for me to gauge the difference between a hot crowd now and what a hot crowd is back then because some of the crowds were more hot back oh, then. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, it was. It was. It's way different now, and that's fine. I mean, it used to be that even though, like, when I when I was a kid growing up, and we would go to see wrestling, like, me and my friends when we were in our our late teens, we had a rule, and the rule was that you had to turn off your brain and pretend it was real, otherwise, we didn't think we could enjoy it. Well, now the crowds now now today all know that it's not. You know, it's. It's not real. It's not, they're not really trying to, to hurt each other or win a wrestling match, but they've, things have changed. Once again, we're talking about this and the fans appreciate it in a different manner and they can sit there and, you know, cheer fight forever, or this is awesome, whatever. And you know, it's different, but it's still fine. Right. I
0: agree. And, but I, I, I sort of miss like, like the authenticness of like a reaction, like, like, making making me feel something. And it's only rare now that I feel something in wrestling that's different than what I feel in, like, normal entertainment, you know?
1: Oh, totally. I mean, that's the thing with wrestling. Um, Even, no matter what era you're talking about, it, it it's always, it's not, it's never been like a movie. It's, it's always been more real than a movie to me, even though maybe sometimes yeah. it's just, it's, it's just as real as a movie.
0: Right, right. And and it it and it involves real people and real stakes. Even though the stakes are predetermined, they're real stakes.
1: And you know what? You say you're right, the stakes are predetermined. I mean, I remember watching Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, um, during their match, uh, what was it? It was May 1989. I'm trying to think of the well, name of the I paper. I remember
0: mail. watching that match because because I watched that match recently, actually.
1: Okay, yes. i have I I've, I've try to make it a point to watch like once May 7th, 1989. A year. Yeah, Wrestle War 89 it was. And at the time, they – I mean, I was pretty – well connected with the NWA like if something was going to happen I knew about it which wasn't always the greatest thing for example when the Paulie Dangerously's Midnight Express came out and attacked Jim Cornette and the, his Midnight Express and they bloodied Jim Cornette up with the phone like 99.9% of the people watching that were like oh my god you know it's the greatest surprise ever and I was like well here it comes because I, I knew what was it was happening um, <laughs> <laughs> but Wrestle War, no one knew what was happening because I don't think they made their minds up until. I, I, you know what? I'm sure they didn't a hundred percent know what was going to happen until the match got went in the ring because you know the things kept changing and that was something that meant something because either. Rick Flair was going to be NWA champion again, or Ricky Steamboat was going to be the NWA champion for a long time. So in a way, there was something on the line. If you're, you know, if you're a fan watching it, it's like, okay, what's the future of this company going to be, Flair or Steamboat?
0: Right. Um, another one of my favorite matches, I'm just looking at this list of the greatest matches ever. Um, and one of my favorite matches from the old days, was the uh, Starcade 85, Magnum TA versus Tony totally Blanchard match, because it was so violent. And, and it was like, this feud had come to a culmination.
1: Yep. They've been feuding since July. Right.
0: Right. And you could see like, every one of the guys there had an emotion. Towards it, and even though watching the match, I watched the match in two thousand sixteen when the two thousand fourteen when the network came out. Um, it would not um, two thousand fourteen um, was when I last watched the match. Oh, okay. Um, I still remember how much it still made me feel like, wow, I I got this story. You know? Mm-hmm. And this story... But but it made me feel good that Magnum kicked Tully's ass.
1: Oh, yeah. And Tully had it coming. Tully to- totally had it coming. And, you know, it was, it was a really good job by Dusty. He had... Really good at that time. Really good long-term storytelling. When Tully first won the belt for Magnum, and they weren't feuding at this point, he only won it because Baby Doll, who Dusty Rhodes had won her services for 30 days, came to the ring disguised as a body, uh, as, as a uh, police, as a security guard, and she slipped him a foreign object, and he won the title. And here we are, I guess. Uh, four months later, these guys have been trying to kill each other for four months, and then they have this match that you know, I mean, just defines everything, you know? I mean, there's going to be an ultimate winner and an ultimate loser.
0: Right. And I sort of feel the same way about, even though it wasn't as violent, but the, the Terry Funk-Rick Flair um, I Quit match, too.
1: That is one of my great wrestling regrets, because Albany, New York is only about, uh, I think it should be Troy, New York, is only about two hours from where I lived, and I could have easily seen that match live. And I just decided I didn't want to, because it was a weeknight, and I'd get home late. Now, And to this day, I I knew that was going to be a really good match, but it was was even better than I thought it was going to be.
0: It didn't have blood, but it was so intense.
1: Yeah. I mean, they did, they did that great thing where the microphone was in the ring and the guy would say, you know, do you quit? No!
0: Right. Right. Another one of my favorite matches, favorite old school matches is, I don't, I, I still have an affinity for Hulk Andre. Even though, even though I, I know it wasn't technically good. But still, it's like, it was a simple story, executed to perfection, even though the wrestlers weren't there all physically, like Andre wasn't, but it was a simple story, and and Hogan won.
1: You know, I I was, what, 21 when that match happened, and... I had a tiny little apartment that was full of people because they wanted to see that particular match. I mean, there were more people than there were places to sit, so people were standing watching the event. And, I mean, just that was the match that captured everyone's imagination. And to me, like I, I enjoy seeing the four or five star match as much as the next guy, but at the same time, Hulk and Andre, you know, it, it captured the imagination of the average fan. I don't think we'll, we, I don't think we'd ever seen anything like it before. And I know we're not going to see anything like that again.
0: Yeah. I, and it's unfortunate, but it's weird. It's weird because I think wrestling is almost better now but i know it won't capture the imaginations of many people and it's sad because i think wrestling is a great art form even though it gets a lot of flack
1: i agree with you and you know i'd say this before i mean i remember wrestling as a kid as, as an adolescent had my imagination captured. And, you know, like I said, I remember I said to you, you know, if I didn't start getting The Observer, I don't think I'd be – I would have remained a fan because I was getting older and I'd kind of seen everything, and my imagination was no longer captured. I was watching more out of habit than anything else.
0: Right, I got to that point too. Um, Almost recently where I'm like, I don't – but then I realized – we have the whole i haven't watched every match yet um and i know i'm never going to watch every match ever but i want to see great matches and it, it just dawned on me that that sometimes a product's not good for me you know but you can still love wrestling
1: Oh, totally. I mean, and, and you want to talk about a really good in-ring product. I mean, every four times a year, NXT delivers just a dynamite three hours on WWE Network.
0: New Japan um, delivers an in-ring product, sometimes on a nightly basis, but a lot of times their big shows are stuff to be, be some of the greatest wrestling I've seen in my I'm glad that I've ridden the new van train since Wrestle Kingdom 9 um, when I first got introduced to it. And a guy named Nakamura captured my imagination once again.
1: (laughs) You know, it's funny. I said right around this time last year, I said, when football season ends, because I do watch a lot of football during the season, college and pro, um, I said to myself, okay, cool. I'm like, I'm getting either New Japan, no, New Japan World and I'll have it for a few months and I, I forgot to do it. I, as soon as you said that, I'm like, you know, I should subscribe to, no, it's, football's about to start.
0: But, and then catch up, because it's like, you know, you're gonna, it's easy to watch and oh, it's yeah. good platform. You know, some of the stuff, some of the stuff's not gonna hit with you all the way. It's like,
1: you know it's going to be good. True uh, you know the matches are going to be good. Yeah, you know, the question right. the question with Japan, I mean, I've always enjoyed like interviews and storylines um I don't want to say above the wrestling, but I enjoy that being on my plate as part of the full meal. And Japan has a lot less of that. Like, yeah, they have storylines, um, but it, it's more of a – it's always been a lot more of a straight sport than the American wrestling where you have, you know, one promotion has like four or five feuds going on at once. Like that's always more – been more of the attraction to me.
0: Yeah. Oh, I totally understand that. Um but I got into wrestling because of the sports aspect, of the athleticism, and of the, what people are doing with their bodies. So once I realized there's more wrestling, I'm like, and I saw that there was better wrestling, I was like, why am I watching, wasting my time watching mediocre wrestling, you know? Yeah. So WWE in the mid-2000s, not the best place for the in-ring. You know what I mean, but... Uh,
1: Not only were they... I mean, right around... 2000, uh, 2001. I took a, a break from watching WWE, and I started again in 2007. But I went back. And I've seen, you know, a, a bunch of assorted Raws that, you know, between 2002 and 2006 that I'd never seen before. And not only is the in-ring product not particularly good, especially when it comes to the women's matches when they've barely been trained, but the storylines a lot of the time were just terrible.
0: Right, you're right. And I like a good story, but the story doesn't have to be complicated, you know. Yeah, and I, that's:
1: I'd like it, it not to be dumb, to be honest with you. Right. Things are, things are so dumbed down,, 10 years ago with them.
0: Yeah. And to a point now that it's so dumbed down, because it's like they have to explain to you in their isms about everything 10,000 oh, yeah. times, and it's like. I don't need to be explained. I'm not, I don't want to be treated like I'm a dumb, dumb MF-er, you know? Yeah.
1: No, and they they still go back. I mean, they were strong, I thought WWE maybe 5 years ago like I enjoyed oh, Raw yeah. and SmackDown. And now they're they're back to just being bad. And I know they're they've rebooted uh, sort of with Eric Bischoff running one show and Paul e- Paul Heyman running the second show. So we'll see how that that all pans out, but I'm glad they did something to shake it up.
0: Right. Um, but I would rather have, like, more modern names doing it. Like, maybe, like I watched for a while, before, before I had a lot on my plate, like, month-to-month progress shows on um, progress out of the UK, which is associated with WWE, and, and like, some of the storylines were simple, but they didn't insult your intelligence, and... Like, the wrestling was great, too, which added to it.
1: You know, what, you know what that's like for me? And I don't know why I stopped watching it. I think I stopped watching it once again last year because of football season. I never got back into it. But 205 Live is like that. The matches are really yeah. good. They keep the storyline simple. The show is about 55 minutes. I mean, I should get back into that.
0: Yeah, it's still a pretty simple show. They're building up. you you. You feel like stuff's going nowhere when it's actually going somewhere and it actually takes time to develop. You yeah. know um, and it's interesting. Like like I enjoy a good wrestling product. Um I just enjoy like good stories and good matches. I'm a very simple man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what though? I mean, good stories, good matches, it it easy easier said than done. Because- yeah, Some one person's idea of a good story is going to be different than another person's version of a good story. But back to Bischoff and Heyman, the thing is that they, it's not just them alone in a room coming up with stuff. I mean, they have supportive staff. They had meetings and these guys just kind of play CEO of, okay, we're going to use this, we're going to use that, we're not going to use that.
0: I trust more Paul E.'s judgment than Eric's judgment, honestly.
1: Um... I can see that the thing with Eric Bischoff, and I'll I'll share an Eric Bischoff story with you if you'd like. Um, yeah, he's he's a he's a really smart guy, and he looks at wrestling pragmatically. He you know he didn't grow I don't think he grew up a huge fan or anything, so he he doesn't have that. in in some ways it's good, in some ways it isn't. Like I have a passion for it, and maybe that passion kind of makes me look at things a different way, whereas Eric is strictly a pragmatist.
0: Right, And Pauline looks at it similar to the way you and I look at it. Like we walk this thing, we want to be as good as possible. Yeah, but Eric has his outside perspective, but watching some of that WCW stuff when he was around it, it's tough.
1: True. True. I mean, at the end, WCW was at the end. Like, the last two years of it was unwatchable. Yeah.
0: And that's what WWE is. Main roster WWE has become. WCW 99-2000, bad.
1: Oh, yeah. I, and the thing is, like, starting after... I want to say like early, mid 1990, the the product changed a lot, but it was never a product I enjoyed. And I'm never, I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy a single second of it, but I will say that, you know, over that 11 or 12 year period, like right around the time, starting right around the time that uh, Sting injured himself in the cage, which is just a coincidence. I'm not like that big Sting mark, but you know, they just never put together a product that that I consistently liked.
0: Yeah, and, like, they just got themselves into corner after corner.
1: Very true. I mean, you know, I remember in 19—it was late 96 when I was like, oh, my God, I never thought I'd say these words. I like WWF a lot more than I like WCW. But, you know, they were going in the right direction. WCW wasn't.
0: Right, right. Have you watched the AEW shows? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Have you watched the AEW shows.
1: No, I haven't. As a matter of fact, and I'll tell you what. I mean, congratulations to them. They got close to hundred thousand buys for a pay per view that was forty nine ninety five. So good for them. That's a, that's a really good start, and I'm looking forward to seeing them on uh, TNT come come October.
0: Yeah, Wednesday nights, which is also a good night because you no know, football.
1: True. Excellent point. It, it, it's even a better night because there's no WWF WWE, excuse me and I, I think I don't think it would be a good idea to go head to head with Raw. I, I didn't think it was a good no. idea when Eric Bischoff did it and I, I turned out to be wrong but I think that things have changed and you want your own night.
0: Yeah, I think every promotion is have their not every promotion because Saturdays All the indie promotions in the country run at the same time. It's different. But major promotions, you have your night and stick to it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. You know, it's funny. Growing up in the early 80s, I mean, the WWF was on 11 in the morning on Saturday Saturday mornings. And World Class came on at the same time. And it drove me nuts. I'm like, why don't you just be on at 10 or be on at noon, and everyone can see both shows, but, you know, I don't know why Channel 25 put it on the same time as WWF. Right.
0: Right, because you had to... you had to choose.
1: And I don't want to choose. Exactly. Especially when this was a time when we got, like, two hours of wrestling on TV. No, I'm not... That's not true, uh... Uh, the WTBS show was on by this point. So we got like four hours of wrestling a week and then it went up to five, but two of the shows were on at the same time. And it's like, how many hours are there in a week? And couldn't you pick a different one?
0: Um, when did you start getting into the tape trading industry and everything like that?
1: Um, I, I, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Um, in 1986, I came up with this idea where, okay, I live here, and these are the shows that I get, and there's got to be someone in Louisiana or Arkansas somewhere who would be willing to trade tapes with me. Um, I will send them you know, the stuff that I have, and they can send me Mid-South Wrestling. So I sit down, and I handwrite letters to everyone who has an address out there. Like if you... Um, put a, a tape trading ad out in Wrestling Eye or just any anything where I had your address in Wrestling Eye, I would sit down, I'd write a letter to you, and I would say, look, you know, here are the shows I get if you're interested in making a trade. Well, one of those people that I wrote to was a guy in Campbell, California named Dave Meltzer, and he, he sends me... Um, three, he sent he sends me a free month of the observer and I've, I've told the story before, but I remember getting home, uh, after a Christmas party at like three, four in the morning and the wrestling observer newsletter is there. And I just opened this thing up and you can only imagine. I mean, it was like all of the secrets had been laid out in front of me. He covered everything. And, you know, so basically I started tape trading from the readers pages of the observer and i bought memphis from somebody and i would then trade the memphis tapes for tapes either you know old tapes of like you know old florida old mid-south whatever or whatever was on that i wasn't getting you know on cable
0: that's awesome like like, of all the people that sent you your first impression, Dave that sent you your first impression?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had the reader's pages, and there would be people, you know, I, I, am, I have this, and I'm interested in trading for that, and I would write to them, and pretty soon I was getting, you know, I, I was really, I was getting more wrestling than I could, than I had the time to watch. So it was kind of a dream come true for me.
0: Yes, and right now I'm living in a dream because I want to watch. There's some point where I want to play video games, but then I have Dragon Gate to watch. I have New, I have the latest New Japan to watch. I have this to watch, and it's like this is a dilemma I want to have. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so great today, like I said, you know, we at bare minimum, you know, you can have WWE Network for less, you know, 10 bucks a month and have that entire library in front of you. I mean, I remember, you know, in the 70s, we got one hour of wrestling on TV a week, 11 o'clock Saturday, no VCRs, you know, if if you miss it, you missed it. Right. So it's great today compared to back then.
0: Right, and
1: When did you first get cable? Uh, We got cable in February of 1980. We had just moved from North Attleboro, Mass., to Nashua, New Hampshire, and one of the first things we did um, when we moved, it was August 79, we called the cable company, we said, okay, we'd like to get cable, and it took... That long, like seven months, they had such a waiting list to finally get over and install it. And I was hovering over that cable box day and night, going through each channel, looking for, for wrestling shows. Now, I only found one that I was unaware of. It was run by Lars Anderson. It was called, um, uh, I used to know this. It was, like, it was out of Atlanta at World League Wrestling. And they ran... Footage from Knoxville, from Mid South, and from Mid Atlantic. It was like a mix of stuff, and it was one hour a week, and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Of course, I also got the W O R show, the the, the the Midnight Show, but I was already getting that program. Just you know, now I was getting it two weeks earlier.
0: That's that, that's incredible. Like the search, the yearn, the yearn to that I have to watch wrestling at this specific
1: time. Yeah, that's. I mean, right, that's right. That's another you know total convenience we have today. We could just you know I want to watch it right now. I'll DVR it, no problem.
0: Right, and it. It. I don't want to say it's weird that we're entitled. Where we like, if we don't like a match, we feel like we wasted our time. But if you didn't like a match, you didn't like a match.
1: Exactly. I mean, now they just updated WWE Network so that you could if you go to any of their programs, they have like um, you go down a row and it has each individual match. You don't have to like fast forward looking for everything. So that's that's another really good innovation they have.
0: Right. And and it's getting easier, but it's like, wow, I just have all this wrestling I can watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a, a lot older than you, I think, and I just remember what sure. it was like, you know, back in the day when your entertainment options were, were so limited compared to what we have today. I mean, we used to have three channels plus PBS. Now I've got, what, 200 channels?
0: More than that.
1: Yeah, than- I mean... Way more than that, if you if you take like YouTube into consideration, I mean, I've got unlimited channels,
0: right? And i i just I just love that we have un, an unlimited supply, but it also creates this dilemma: of what am I going to watch, and what am I going to spend my time watching? And I've always struggled with that because I am ADHD, <laughs> so I have ADHD, and I have all, all these mental things, and I'm like my god, it it gives me anxiety almost.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I I appreciate how how lucky we all are at this point, you know, if you're born into this world, you take it for granted, you know, I don't know what it was like growing up, I guess, in the 40s and 50s, and, you know, there was no television, for God's sake.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, no television versus we actually have television and we're actually going to do some things with it. You know, it's amazing. Absolutely. amazing. So you want to get your plugs in because we're at about an hour. So.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, if you enjoyed hearing me on this show and I hope you did, um, Check out Stick to Wrestling. It's easy to find. Just put Stick to Wrestling in Google and it'll come up. It is a one-hour show um, featuring myself and Sean Goodwin. Uh, we do keep it to, to an hour every week. We usually pick a specific topic and go over it. It's usually a 70s or 80s topic, although not guaranteed. But we do stick to wrestling, and it's, it's the fastest hour of my week. And like I said, check it out. I hope you give it a try.
0: Yeah. Um I am at DJ D Russell on Twitter and my other show getting the ring on the social Suplex, is on at GITR Russell on Facebook on uh, Twitter. <laughs> I'm all I'm all over the place today.
1: <laughs> Nothing wrong with that.
0: Thank you John and have a good